And then one last announcement um, wanted to share with you is, is that this last Thursday, uh, around 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, Pastor Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, passed away. And uh, uh, I know that for, uh, for many of you, uh, maybe Calvary Chapel at Iwakuni is your first experience with uh, a Calvary Chapel, and so you may not be familiar with uh, the roots uh, of the church and, and I also realize that there are probably some of you that have probably never heard of, of Pastor Chuck Smith uh, and so I just wanted to share real briefly uh, about him uh, Pastor Chuck Smith began uh, his ministry at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, California and uh, with a church membership of 25 people and uh, his faithful approach to systematically teaching the word of God combined with his open heart uh, to the lost led to the ministry that, that now draws 25,000 people weekly. And so uh, God has blessed that man and his ministry abundantly. And there are now over 1,500 Calvary chapels uh, worldwide. Calvary Chapel churches are, are non-denominational churches. Uh, so we are self-governed, individually governed, but we are uh, united with a like-mindedness of ministry, an approach to ministry. And, th- and that approach to ministry was started by Pastor Chuck to just simply teach the Word of God uh, from cover to cover and, and just go by verse by verse. And so uh, Pastor Chuck, he, he played an intricate role in the Jesus movement of the late 60s, early 70s, as well as uh, the popular music of that day, often referred to as Jesus music. Um, he started the recording label Maranatha Music. Uh, many um, modern contemporary Christian artists will be, can trace roots back uh, to that uh, recording uh, ministry. And so, although I myself never had the privilege to call Pastor Chuck uh, my pastor, I, I've actually I've sat under a number of his teachings at different uh, conferences and have attended Costa Mesa a couple times. Um, but I do know that I can trace the roots of the men who witnessed to me and discipled me back to uh, Pastor Chuck. And uh, uh, very extremely grateful for the example that he left for us and his commitment to have the best fed and best loved sheep around. And so uh, that's something that I try to take as well. And I want to just take you. I want to do the same thing. I want to go through the Word of God, teach it to you simply, that you might be the best loved and best fed sheep. And so... Really, it's a heart that started with Pastor Chuck, and it's a heart that continues uh, here in this ministry. And so, um, after a two-year battle with lung cancer, uh, Pastor Chuck, he he graduated to heaven. He was 86 years old. And so, uh, I'd like you guys just to to ask you guys to remember uh, his family, his wife Kay, uh, in your prayers. Also, the ministry there at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Uh, Even just this last Sunday, he was... He was preaching, so um, just pray for uh, that ministry, if you would. And, it's, you know, it's interesting that today uh, we're going to be learning about the topic of judging others. And uh, as Jesus continues his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, one of the things that separated Pastor Chuck from so many others was his willingness not to judge others. Uh, during the late 60s, many in the church were judging and condemning the hippies of that day. And, uh, but not Pastor Chuck. You know, uh, Pastor Chuck saw a people that desperately needed to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, and they realized that their search for love and meaning in life would only be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so uh, he had a heart for those and a willingness to let them come in. He opened the doors of his church to the hippie generation when most churches were closing the doors to them. 
One famous account tells of a time when the church leadership, they were upset with uh, Pastor Chuck for letting the, the hippies come in without any shoes on. And uh, uh, they complained that their feet were dirty and that they would ruin the carpet. And, and Pastor Chuck decided that if the carpet was more important than the souls of these people, that he'd rather just rip the carpet out of the sanctuary. And he went as far as washing the hippies' feet as they would enter into the sanctuary. And so he set a wonderful example of what it means uh, to love the Lord, to love His Word, and to love His people. And uh, He will be deeply missed. And so we're very thankful that we know He is in heaven now. He is rejoicing. uh, And uh, we will one day join with Him as well. And so uh, just be in prayer, if you would, uh, for Pastor Chuck's family and the ministry there in Costa Mesa. Will you please stand as we uh, go into today's uh, portion of Scripture? We want to read from Matthew chapter 7. As we continue our way through the book of Matthew, uh, just systematically going verse by verse, we find ourselves in chapter 7, and we're going to cover verses 1 through 12 this morning in a message uh, I've entitled The Golden Rule. Uh, And so, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. It begins. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and churn and tear you in pieces. Verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread... Will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Verse 12 Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that as we go through your word this morning, that you would lead and guide us. Father, we do thank you as well for the ministry and legacy left behind by Pastor Chuck. And Lord, he was a sinner just like all of us. And uh, he would attest and often did to to the incredible grace that you bestow upon us, that you can use sinners like us in your kingdom. And so, Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for Pastor Chuck and his example that he left for us. And and Father, I pray that you would just uh, be with us as we uh, go through uh, this morning's portion of text that you would uh, enlighten our, our minds and our hearts to receive all that you have for us. Lord, we do pray that you'd be with the ministry of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa as well. We pray that you'd be with them as they mourn and as they uh, carry on. We pray that And we know that ultimately that you are the senior pastor uh, of the church, Father, and and that you have great things still to be done. And so, Father, we just pray for that ministry. They continue to be uh, light for you and uh, be with us as well, we ask in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. You guys may have a seat. Jesus begins chapter 7 by bringing up the topic of judging. If you are, are reading from the New King James Version, you'll note that there's a, a superscript next to the word judge in verse 1 and judgment in verse 2. And if you were to look at the annotation uh, down below, you'd see that those words can be written as condemn and condemnation. The actual Greek word uh, for judge is Krino, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I can look it up in a uh, dictionary. So, Krino, uh, and Krino means to decidedly come to a conclusion or to condemn and judge one as guilty. And so Jesus was commanding his followers not to judge or condemn others. And that instruction is still applicable to us today. That we are not to judge or condemn others. He gave a couple reasons why we are not to judge. But before we look at those, I just want to clarify something in regards to what we're talking about here this morning in judging. Jesus is referring to judging and being judged by others, by one another. He is not talking, and this portion is not speaking about God's judgment upon man. There will, be, there will come a day where we will all bow our knees before the Lord, and we will confess the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and, and there will be a, a judgment for those who do not know the Lord, and our works, even as believers, they will be judged, they will be tried as well. But that's not the type of judgment that we're talking about this morning. This type of judgment is the judgment between one another. Okay? So, we shouldn't judge, Jesus says, and he says, well, why? Here, there's a couple reasons. Okay? Verse 1 gives us the first reason. It's in order to avoid being judged ourselves. Okay? Real simple, most of us don't like to be judged by others, right? I mean, who, who likes to be judged by others? Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, nobody in here, right? So nobody likes that. Uh, and so Jesus says, don't judge because... So that we don't be that we won't be judged by others. If you don't want to be judged yourself, don't go around judging others. Okay? What's another reason? Oh, verse two, he says, if we do judge, we will be judged in the same manner and the same measure that we judge others. You know, when when we do judge, I find, and maybe it's just me, but I think it's probably universal, that when we do judge, we often are much more critical and harsher towards others than we like to be on ourselves. We like to be gracious with ourselves. We usually don't extend that same grace to others. But yet, Jesus says, how you judge others, that's how they're going to judge you. We can be unforgiving. We can be unsympathetic uh, towards others as well. Also, when we judge others, we usually do it based upon our own limited knowledge. Okay? And we don't always have the full story. And that doesn't always keep us, but that doesn't always keep us from casting judgment. And so if you want others to judge you harshly, to be unforgiving and unsympathetic, and do it based upon limited knowledge of the situation, then just keep on doing that to others, and it will come right back to you. That's what Jesus is saying uh, here. And so to me, that doesn't sound so great. And so instead, we should just listen to what Jesus says, I believe, and follow his instruction and quit judging others. Verse 3 says, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me remove the speck from your eye, 
And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Here Jesus gives us somewhat of a, of a humorous example uh, of how our judging of others can play out. Uh, it, try to, I like to, whenever I read the Bible, I always like to try and picture myself in the, in the story or in the text or whatever's going on. I always try, I'm a visual uh, kind of guy. And so picture what that would look like. Okay? Someone with a big plank sticking out of their eye uh, trying to help someone with a little splinter or, or a piece of wood in theirs. Um, I think it's uh, quite funny. Um, actually, I think we have a, a picture. I found some pictures here. So the one on the, on the left says, Dude, I think I see a speck in your eye. Let me get it out for you. And then the other guy's response, that's probably what my response would be to. Like, what are you doing? And then the other one's even funnier. Like, you can't read what it says because it got cut off. But it says, ha ha, you just told me that he has a uh, splinter in his eye and you have a beam in yours. And referring to the third guy, he's got a big trunk growing out of his. Uh, that's silly, right? I mean, that's, that's quite comical. Uh, and although Jesus uses a rather silly illustration, we do find some key points about judging others from this example. And I've noted four things about judging that we can glean from this illustration, from this example of a guy with a plank sticking out of his own eye. The first thing worth noting, I believe, is that we oftentimes can easily spot sin in other people's life. We easily and readily notice the speck in our brother's eye. I think there's a reason that we easily identify other people's sins. And that's because it's the same sins that we struggle with oftentimes. Notice that there's a, there's a speck in one man's eye. Okay? Uh, looking up the word speck, it refers to a, a speck of sawdust or a splinter, uh, a small chip or particle of wood. And on the other hand, you have a man with the plank in his eye, made up of the same material, wood. And the man with the plank in his eye readily spots the small splinter of wood in his brother's eye because it's the same thing that he struggles with as well. It reminds me of times when my boys were much younger. And my family and I would be getting ready to enjoy a meal together. We would sit, all sit down at the table, about to thank the Lord uh, for, our, for our food. I tell the boys, okay, boys, let's, let's close our eyes. Let's pray and ask God to bless our meal and bless our food. And, you know, I'd pray over the meal, thanking the Lord for His provision and, and just the day and different things like that. And at the end, you know, you close your prayer and I'd say amen. And no sooner would I say amen that one of my boys would blurt out, Daddy, 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 so-and-so, I won't say names, so-and-so was opening his eyes during prayer. I say, really? I acting surprised or shocked, even though I really wasn't. And, and, and I'd say, yeah, that's not very good, right? And then, yeah, that's not very good. And then I'd say, how'd you know that he was opening his eyes during prayer? And then all of a sudden, they're really, you know, vibrant, uh, you know, blasting. All of a sudden, it got real quiet. And they realized, oh, I... I had my eyes open too. <laughs> you see, we, we easily see other people's sin because it's the sin that we often struggle with. And it's kind of cute and funny to think uh, of how kids can so easily identify the sins of their siblings. Uh, 
But it's not so cute when we focus on doing it to our brothers and sisters in Christ. The second thing worth noting about judging is that we don't readily acknowledge our own sin. We, we, we readily acknowledge other people's sin, but we don't do it in our own sin. We tend to dismiss it or ignore it even, though it can be so obvious to everyone else around us, as obvious as walking around with a two-by-four sticking out of your eye, that's how obvious it is, and yet you will be blinded by it. Jesus said, and look, a plank is in your eye. It's like the guy, it had to be pointed out to him. Okay? Look and, and see, you've got this big, huge plank of wood coming out your eye. How are you going to help someone with a speck in their eye? That's ridiculous. One very good example of this is actually found in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 12. Okay, in chapter 12 of the book of 2 Samuel, the prophet Nathan comes to see King David. And he begins to tell David of a count of two men in the city. One man was rich and the other was poor. The rich man had many flocks of sheep, but the poor man only had one little ewe lamb. When the rich man had a visitor coming into town, and instead of preparing a meal from the man's own flock, he stole the poor man's one little ewe lamb, and he prepared it for the traveler. And David was furious when he heard this account. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore full fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And that's when Nathan said to David, David, you are that man. You see, because David, he took Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, and he laid with her. And then he sent Uriah out to battle to be killed. And Nathan blasted him and said, This is, you're the person, you've done this. And even on a worse, we're not talking about little sheep, okay? We're talking about human beings, actual lives that were taken and destroyed because of what you've done. You see, even though that story was so easily identifiable to maybe you and I, as Nathan would be reading it, we're like, Oh, yeah, we know what that's talking about. It, David was oblivious to it, okay? He, he didn't even realize it. He was blind to do it. He did not even think to put one and one together and realize that he was that man. He was like the man walking around with the two-by-four in his eye. Okay? He was ready to fix that other guy, and he was going to do it harshly. right? But he was blind to a much greater sin that was in his life. When we judge others, we often fail to consider our own sin. This was the sin of the Pharisees as well as they presented to Jesus a woman caught in the very act of adultery. Jesus said to them, as they brought this woman, and they were, what is he going to do with her? They wanted her to be stoned. And then Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 7, He said, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. So He didn't say, okay, we're, no, we won't do it. But He said, okay, whoever is without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. And, and you may know that count. He bends down and he's writing in the sand. And we don't know what he was writing in the sand, but one by one the Pharisees, all, all the accusers left. Some people speculate that maybe he was writing down different sins that some of the people struggled with. And, and as, they wrote, as he wrote in the sand, whatever he was writing, 
people started thinking, oh, that's getting a little too close to home and maybe I should bail out. Uh, it's not what the Bible teaches us, but some would uh, have suggested that that's what was going on. Regardless, we see that it was sinful, okay? that the Pharisees did it, that David did it, and it ought not to be done. Okay? The third thing I think worth noting as we think about judging is that before we judge others, we must first judge ourselves. Okay? You see, Jesus didn't forbid the helping of the brother. Okay? He didn't say, you shouldn't help the guy that has a speck in his eye. He didn't say that. Okay? He simply said, make it clear that before he could be of any service to his brother, that the man first needed to take care of his own issues. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye, is what he says. In order to be used by the Lord to help and serve others, we need to have first have our relationship with the Lord to be in good standing. Okay? We must lead by example. If we're going to exhort our brother or sister in the Lord, we better make sure that we are practicing what we are preaching. If not, then you will be just like this man with the plank in his eye, and Jesus called him a hypocrite. I don't want Jesus to call me a hypocrite. I don't want Jesus to call you a hypocrite. And so let's make sure if we're going to help someone out that we have done this self-evaluation as well. Okay? The fourth and final point I noted in regards to this topic of judging is that it must be done very carefully and delicately. Okay? Now, it doesn't say anything in the text, but I, I, I do believe that uh, it wasn't coincidence that Jesus used an example of a speck in someone's eye when talking about judging. The eye is a very delicate and sensitive part of the body. Okay? If and when the Lord would have you to help a brother or sister out by confronting sin in their life, make sure to do it with love and insensitivity. Don't go on. I think sometimes we, can, we want to go really full, full blast or, or full auto, right? And just blast away at the sin that we see. Uh, and we don't realize that charging in and, and jamming your finger in their eye uh, is probably going to cause more harm than what it would do good. And so we need to be careful. Be sensitive to the situation. Be caring. Be encouraging. Okay? Call out sin. We need to do that. But do your best not to cause more damage and more pain and more hurt than was what already was going on. Okay? Sticking your finger in someone else's eye can cause a lot more damage than what a little speck of dust uh, may cause. And so remember that when you go to your brother and sister to help them and encourage them in a situation that they find themselves in. Verse 6 continues. It says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and churn and tear you in pieces. What, what is Jesus talking about here when he speaks about giving holy things to dogs and, and casting pearls before swine? What he's talking about is discernment. He's talking about discernment. You see, Jesus told his followers to not judge or condemn one another, but he didn't say we shouldn't be discerning. There's a difference between judging someone and using discernment. Judging implies that guilt has already been established and that the case is already closed. Discernment, I I think, and liken that more to simply gathering evidence 
to help sort through what's really going on. And so there is a difference. Giving holy things to dogs and casting pearls before swine, you know, it's, it involves taking the treasures of the gospel truth. That's the, the holy things, the, the pearls. Okay? And, and sharing them with people that are not ready or not willing to receive them. That's where we get the dogs and the swine. Okay? This does not mean that we shouldn't preach the gospel to people. Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 15, that we should preach the gospel to every creature. What it does mean, though, is that there is a time and place for everything. We need to be able to discern whether or not these people are ready and willing to receive what you have to say. When confronting sin, we also need to discern the work of the Holy Spirit. Not only working in our own lives, but also in the life of the one that you're speaking to. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict people of sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. And without the work of the Holy Spirit, the person will not be able to receive what you have to say. And so we must be able to use discernment. And know when we have someone ripe for the gospel, and we need to know, use discernment, when we have those that who simply would trample over what you have to say and turn it against you. How do we know for sure? Okay. You ever gone out uh, street, street witnessing before or sharing with someone before and you're like, I'm not so sure, this person looks a little agitated, you know. Uh, we need to use discernment. Okay? Well, how do we know? For sure. How can we tell whether or not someone's willing and ready to hear us out, or if whether or not they're going to turn on us and, and tear us in pieces, uh, verbally, hopefully, not, not physically? Uh, and, and Jesus tells us how we know in these next verses. Okay? He says in verse 7 Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. Jesus goes from talking about judging others and using discernment to then speaking about prayer again. And we've already talked about prayer before in his Sermon on the Mount. We've covered that. And it may seem to some like Jesus is hopping from topic to topic, but he's not. He's continuing his teaching and exhortation on judging and discernment. When we don't know how to rightly assess a situation, when we aren't able to discern whether people are ready and willing, what should we do? We should pray. We should pray. We should ask God. We should seek God. We should knock on the doors of heaven's throne room and ask God. The verbs ask, seek, and knock, they're actually written in the present imperative tense. And I'm not an English scholar as well, but I can look that stuff up. Okay? What that means is that Jesus is instructing us to continually, habitually follow this commandment. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Okay? We are to continually do this. Okay? It needs to be part of our daily life, our routine, our way of life and living. Why? Why should we continually go to the Lord in prayer? It's, let me tell you, it's not, it's not because he, he doesn't hear. And it's not because He wants us to beg. 
It's because He's helping to establish something in our lives, a discipline. See, why should we continue to go to the Father? Number one, it develops within us a dependency upon Him and not ourselves. Why else should we continually go to the Father? I think number two, it's because God alone is able to judge perfectly. Even the most discerning of us will blow it from time to time. Okay? God alone is perfect in His judgment. And so if we're in a situation where we need discernment, we need to know what's right, what's wrong, we ought to ask God. Okay? Number three, why should we continually go to the Father? I think it's a simple one, but it's because God answers our prayers. Okay? For when we ask, it tells us that it will be given. And when we seek, we will find. And when we knock, it will be open to us. Okay? When we're in a situation where we really don't know what to do, and we're not certain of the Lord's leading and direction, we can go to Him for wisdom. Okay? James instructs us, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Okay, there's a wonderful example of this in Scripture as well. And it's found in 1 Kings chapter 3. If you want to turn there, you can. In 1 Kings chapter 3, uh, King David has passed away and his son Solomon has been given the kingdom of Israel to rule over. Okay? Verse 3 of chapter 3 of 1 Kings, it tells us that Solomon loved the Lord. Okay. Uh, verse 4 tells us that he went to Gibeon to seek the Lord and to offer to the Lord sacrifice. Okay. And, and it tells us that when evening drew and Solomon went to sleep, that the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And in this dream, the Lord said to him in verse 5, Ask, what shall I give you? A blank check from the Lord. What would Solomon ask for? What would you ask for? A blank check from the Lord. Well, Solomon, he took inventory of where he was at. He told the Lord in verse 7 and 8, You have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I'm a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. You see, Solomon realized that he was hes just like a little child. He was in great need. He was just made king and he doesn't know how to go out or how to come in. He doesn't know how to, to lead these great people. He doesn't know how to discern and, and judge properly. And so what does he ask of God? Verse 9. Therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I might discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Solomon was given a blank check and he said, God, give me an understanding heart. Give me wisdom. Wisdom to know right from wrong. Wisdom to discern between good and evil. Solomon was smart enough to know that he wasn't smart enough. And that he needed the Lord to help him judge his great people. Solomon didn't know what to do, so he sought the Lord and asked God for wisdom and discernment. And that is why Jesus speaks about praying right after talking about judging others and using discernment. Okay, it fits right in. Because we need to pray to God and seek His wisdom in discerning the best direction to take as we approach others and their possible need for repentance. And so we need to pray. 
verses 9 through 11 gives us another reason as well. It says, Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Verses 9 through 11, as I said, it gives us another example why we should continually go to God in prayer. And that is because God knows how to give good gifts. Jesus uses earthly fathers as an example of how we give gifts. How we answer our children when they come asking, seeking, and knocking. Jesus asks, what father out there would give their son a rock when they ask for some bread? And I thought to myself, you know what? I may give them a rock if that's what they deserve. Uh, trying to feed four boys second and third helpings is not the easiest thing to do. Uh, but in all seriousness, the answer, and it's an obvious one, is no. Right? Who's going to do that? No one. No one's going to do that. None of us are going to do that. A good father isn't going to give their children a rock when they're asking for nourishment from bread. Okay? He gives another example as well, saying, if your child asks for some fish, who's going to give him a serpent? And I know for sure that I wouldn't give my kids a serpent because I hate snakes, so I wouldn't be anywhere around it. Okay? But the obvious answer, again, is that none of us, okay, none of us would do that. Okay? None of us would, be, uh, would give our children something dangerous when they're asking for something to sustain them. Okay? And so Jesus' Jesus's conclusion is that if we... Being evil, we are sinful people. If we, if we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more? How much more? Really, think about that. How much more will our Heavenly Father give good things to those who ask Him? Okay? God is a much better gift giver than we could ever be. He knows exactly what we need, and He's able to supply for our every need. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father. Verse 12, our final verse here as we wrap things up. Verse 12 says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This last verse is commonly referred to as the golden rule. Some in today's world believe that the golden rule is he who has the gold makes the rules. And although that sentiment may seem to be true as it plays out in today's politics, it isn't the golden rule. The golden rule is simply this. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. The idea is treat others how you want to be treated. If you want people to be nice to you, try being nice to people. It works. If you want people to be gracious with you and forgiving, be gracious and forgiving to others. Some people also mistakenly quote the golden rule and say that the Bible teaches us to do unto others as they do unto us. That is not a biblical principle that you will find in the Bible. In fact, the opposite is taught. Okay, Proverbs 24, verse 29 says, Do not say, I will do to him just as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. Okay? And in Romans 12, 
verse 19 it says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In the context of what Jesus is talking about, we see that when we assess other people's situations and, and what they're going, uh, dealing with and, and struggling with possibly, we need to exercise discernment about others and we ought to treat them as we would like to be treated. Most of us would like others to be gracious and forgiving. Because you know what? I know I want that. I blow it all the time. My wife can amen if she wants. Okay? I, I make mistakes. And I want people to be gracious with me. And I want people to be forgiving to me. Okay? I think especially when people are judging us and it feels like they don't know the whole story and they don't know the motives behind our hearts and we know, well, my heart was in the right place. Well, people can't see your heart. Okay? And yet, we oftentimes will make judgment based upon what we see. Limited knowledge. And so, don't do that. Okay? We don't want people to do it to us, so don't do it to others. Jesus said that if we act according to the golden rule, we would be following the law and the prophets. Okay, the law and the prophets simply refer to the teachings of the Old Testament. Okay? Jesus said that if you treat others the same way that you want to be treated, that you would pretty much fulfill the teachings of the Old Testament. Okay? In the other portions of Scripture, Jesus referred to this notion of fulfilling the law and prophets as well. In, in Matthew chapter 22 verses 37 through 40, Jesus said this, You shall love the Lord your God. It's in, excuse me, context. Context is the Pharisees, people had come to him and asked, What is the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus responds with this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law, and the prophets. Here Jesus said that if we love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind, and if we love our neighbor as ourself, that we would be fulfilling the teachings of the Old Testament. Not only did Jesus speak about this, but Paul did as well in his writings. In Romans chapter 13, verse 9, this is what he wrote. He said, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying. Namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here Paul narrows down the the law and the prophets even more by simply just saying, hey, if we just love our neighbors as ourselves, we're, we're following. That's what the laws and prophets said to do. In fact, Paul in Galatians narrowed it down even more. Paul in Galatians, he said that the law can be fulfilled with one word, love. Galatians 5, 13 and 14 talks about that. One word fulfills all the law and the prophets, and that's love. We see here that this pendulum upon which the golden rule swings is love. The golden rule is to love one another. We want to be loved. 
I don't care how hard you are. I think some of you Marines are going to need to be hard. Okay? Down inside, deep down inside, you want to be loved. Okay? And so we ought to love one another. If that's what we want. In regards to judging, how does this apply, this love? Well, you know what? Love, it tells us that love keeps no record of wrong in 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Okay? We also know that love, it covers a multitude of sins. Okay? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 tells us that. Okay? And, and what else do we know? Love never fails. Okay? If you're in a situation where you're not sure what to do, be loving. Okay? Just be loving. Don't be judging. Don't be condemning. Okay, don't be pointing the finger or sticking your finger in someone else's eye. Be loving. Okay? As we look at today's portion of Scripture, just looking back over the text, Jesus instructed us about judging. Okay? And we noted a few things about judging. We noted how easily and quickly we notice other people's sin. We also noted how we don't readily acknowledge our own sin. We noted that uh, before we judge others, we must first judge ourselves. And lastly, we noted how we must be sensitive when it comes to approaching others who are struggling in situations. We looked at the importance of being able to rightly discern when the Lord is leading and guiding us to present the holy things, the gospel truth, pearls, we need to be able to discern the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as well as the lives of the people that we're reaching out to. And we need to be able to discern uh, and tell if people we're sharing with are open to receiving the gospel or if they're simply looking for a fight or a means to rile you up. Okay? We looked at the importance of prayer and seeking the Lord for His wisdom and for discernment when approaching others. We need to make sure our life... Style is one that uh, has us to keep on asking and keep on seeking and to keep on knocking. We need to trust in our Heavenly Father to give us what we need. And lastly, we looked here at the golden rule. That we should treat others how we want to be treated. We looked at how we can fulfill this commandment with one word. That we would love one another. And so let's stop judging one another. Let's start exercising discernment. Let's seek the Lord and learn from the example of His Son to love. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this morning's portion of Scripture. Lord, we thank You that... Lord, Your Word tells us for those that are in Christ, there's no condemnation. Lord, You do not condemn us. Lord, we have been washed clean and we have been forgiven. And so, Father, we thank You that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank You that You've uh, made Yourself available to us, that we can seek You and ask You for wisdom, that we might be able to discern Your Holy Spirit's leading in our lives and the lives of the people around us. And so, Father, give us eyes to see Your Spirit moving. Father, as we consider just the, the golden rule, Lord, may we be people that that love one another. We all want to be loved. We thank you for your love. And Father, I pray that through the strength of empowering of your Holy Spirit, that we could love like your Son, Jesus Christ, loved. Father, we pray, I pray, that if there's anyone that we've been judging, anybody that we've been having uh, bitter feelings towards, Lord, that we would, we would lay those things aside, that we would forgive, Lord, that we would 
give the benefit of the doubt or Lord that we would just take the high road at times and even though we may be right say you know what I'm not gonna I'm not willing to sacrifice that relationship uh, for this and, and, and that we would be loving and and so into that person's life uh, grace and so Father lead and guide us in our interactions with one another and we be known as your scriptures tell us and we be known by your love by the love that we have for one another. Lord, thank you for this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.